Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. As we ended the last segment, I referred to our guest as Catherine Brinson Bell. Obviously, it's Karen Brinson Bell. I have done that twice in my uh, uh, talks with uh, the executive director. I don't know why I want to rename you, but uh, but uh, Catherine's a nice name. I mean, maybe you. It's a maybe... wonderful name, and Karen's been made fun of, um, including by my brother. So you know, maybe it's a good thing you're changing my name. I don't know. Well, I try not to be one of those Karens. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, Karen Brinson Bell is our guest, and she is the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Election, and we've talked about absentee voting. We've talked about early voting. Uh, we now want to turn to campaign compliance and campaign finance. And that's uh, it's, uh, actually very different from running elections. So tell us what uh, the State Board of Election does in that regard and how uh, you handle that uh, part of your duties. It, it is under the umbrella of what we do, for sure. Um, in some states, it's not. And so that's an interesting distinction, just like um, in many states, the elections are run by the Secretary of State, but that's not the case in North Carolina. We're an independent agency and the county boards are are independent as well. And so um, within our charge is to uh, administer campaign finance, uh, which is to accept the reports from the campaign committees, the political action committees, the independent expenditure committees. The list is long. Um, those who are engaged in uh, expending money towards campaign efforts or receiving money, um, receiving donations and such. Um, and so there's a series of reports. There's a cycle when they're supposed to report all of this information. There's criteria within our law that sets limits, um, you know, how much cash can be received uh, without it, you know, or how it, before it has to be written in the form of a check. There's limits on how much someone can even contribute to a campaign individually. Um, and, and all of that is what we are we're receiving those reports so that the public can view them, can see them, uh, can scrutinize them. Uh, we also are auditing to make sure that they're in compliance. Um, and we do that at the state and county level. And it really, you know, it, it's it's not far-fetched that we handle this when you consider that, you know, when someone comes to file for office, uh, they, they're able to do so because they're a registered voter, they live within that district or whatever the, the qualifications might be. But at that time, they're going to also have to declare this campaign committee um, because it's required that they report you know, their expenditures and their donations. And even that filing fee is part of that. So, you know, our whole process of filing a candidate, whether it's at the state level or the county level, is to to take them through that process. And that includes helping them get established for their campaign finance reporting. So now uh, let's get back to an individual race. What are the limits as far as what an individual can do as far as making contributions to a particular candidate? This actually, um, it changed in North Carolina because we are actually on a scale now. Um, but, you know, they can't give uh, more than $50 in cash. Uh, so no under the table, no passing the hat, you know, things like that have changed over the years as well. Um, so you know, we do have limitations and we can't bundle. It also has to be uh, individual contributions, not business contributions. That um, that's when it gets over into uh, something that's different. And we also, you know, we always try to train our treasurers and our candidates on the fact that um, which treasurer training is a requirement. Um, you know, the differences between uh, state level 
campaign committees, and then there's federal, and, and that's very different. We don't handle the congressional committees. We don't handle the presidential committees um, unless there's something that's been established as like a political action committee or something that's at the state level. I didn't know that. So you don't do the congressional or the federal elections as far as the campaign contributions. That's right. The The Federal Election Commission handles that. I see. I, that's that's news to me. And I'm glad that you made that clear, because uh, I would imagine a number of people probably felt that uh, that fell under your your responsibilities. So, um, OK, you said it was tiered. Tell me about how it's tiered. Um. Well, it's. It's tiered based upon um, I'm, and you're you're putting me on the spot here, Don. I'm trying to draw trying to remember the term, and I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Um, but um, it 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 base it's based upon uh, the change in the inflation. If I'm inflation is not the right word. Um, let let come back. Ask me another question, and we'll come back to that. How's that? I think you're talking about cost of living index. I think you're right. Thank you very okay. much. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how when you are doing a program like this, you can have a complete something can just slip your mind, and it's so easy, and uh, uh, it happens all the time. And so, don't worry about it at all. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, getting back to the question, uh, how how is it tiered? Um, I'm trying to pull that up right now because I don't want to tell you wrong. But, but it's basically it's been adjusted because of cost of living inflation. That's right. No, okay, That's right. so it's it's not a it's not a uh, big, it's not race by race or uh, or uh, candidate by candidate. That's right. Um, okay. The only thing that, you know, there is a threshold where someone who they can declare that they don't, they won't be submitting reports if they don't plan to spend or receive more than a thousand dollars. So oftentimes at our most local level, you actually won't find uh, a report um, because, you know, you know, often, for example, a county commissioner, their filing fee will not reach a thousand dollars. So, uh, and if they just, you know, if they're an incumbent or 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 unopposed, you know, they may not have to spend uh, like some contests, like for share, for example. And certainly, uh, when we get into you know our council of state races, our governor's races, the you know, there's tremendous amounts of money that are being raised and, and expended uh, in those contests. So what happens when you see violations of the campaign finance law? How how is that handled? So you know, what we're looking at is is trying to, to encourage compliance. Um, we do our treasurer training and and have materials uh, to those committees so that they are you know are following the law. Um, our goal is not really to do a gotcha. I mean, we will if we have to, but the goal is to try to have everybody in compliance because then that's transparency and that allows the public to hold the the candidates um, accountable and help in their decision making. Um, but so, you know, if they're not in compliance, if they're late with a report or if they're, um, you know, they, they indicate expenditures that, you know, I, I use the example of pass the hat, you know, that means that you know, there's there's actually a in, in old times that meant that there was a fundraiser and there was a hat passed and people put in a couple of dollars or whatever they had. We have to attribute those contributions to someone. So even if you give a dollar, it's supposed to be um, 
maintained by that campaign committee. And so, you know, if we see something, then we, you know, we're going to try to first work with that committee to get them back into compliance. And then if not, then there's an enforcement aspect of our agency uh, to where, you know, there, it could come before the state board, we can grant a waiver or, or we can, can have a penalty uh, that's put into place. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it, it can go further than that. And North Carolina has had its fair share of, uh, of you know, major campaign finance uh, situations that, um, you know, at times have even led to someone um, being removed from office or going to jail. Um, and, but hopefully we don't get there. The goal is to try to have compliance so that we have transparency. And transparency is the key to everything you've said there, because uh, uh, that's that's what the voter really wants to know is what's really going on. I mean, that's, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and they have every right to to expect that. That's right. I mean, when part of the 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 reports, for example, is if if someone gives, you know, we'll just say a hundred dollars, we don't get to just list their name. You're you're listing other information about them, like their profession. So if, you know, it may be of importance to someone to know that, you know, all the dentists have gotten behind a certain candidate. Um, and, and, you know, and they can see that through campaign contributions. And that might be a, a good thing to a voter, or it might be a bad thing to a voter. I don't know, nothing against dentists, but just as an example um, of, of something, you know, there, there may be reasons why people want to know um, who, you know, they're, who, who's supporting uh, a candidate. And so that's what this disclosure is about. Um, additionally, you know, it's important to know, for people to know how the candidate's spending their money. So, you know, for some people, if they donate, they want to know that it's being spent well. Um, and uh, yep, so that we know that that's why some people, and, and if they file at the state level, we do post those online. The counties, um, you know, they may have different means or different um, uh hurdles in getting those posted because they it's a little more cumbersome but um but they are available for public viewing in the county board of elections office if somebody wants to go and see a report now the county board of elections really doesn't go into compliance is that correct they actually we do audit i mean when i was a county elections director i received uh campaign finance reports from commissioners, from the sheriff's uh, candidates and so forth. And I was responsible for auditing those to see if they were in compliance. But if I did find something of issue, uh, then I worked with the State Board of Elections because we, um, you know, it, we actually have a staff it's not a large staff, but we have a staff that's uh, more trained in that where a county elections person is obviously wearing a lot of other hats. Um, our campaign finance staff is dedicated to that. Now, as I understand, uh, uh, on uh, federal elections, is this also true for uh, state elections, I guess is the question I'm going to ask. Uh, there's a, a period where you can contribute in the primary, and then your uh, clock or your uh, meter starts over for the general election. Is that true in state elections as well as federal elections? Yes, there are. There's contributions that can be made in the primary. There's contributions that can be made in the general election. And then there's a, the, you know, we're looking at reports that give us the total picture as well. Um, and then, you know, not to get into the weeds too much, but, you know, there if there is a second primary, then there's requirements of that. Because remember, that's the continuation of a, of a primary. So, um, you know, we, we're watching all of that. Um, and, and the committees have to be in compliance with that, too. Social media is uh, an interesting phenomenon that's come along and I guess mainly in the last 
maybe dozen years, but more importantly, the last five or six years, has that changed the way you operate your office and look at compliance issues? Um, you know, I don't know that it's affected us that much with campaign finance so much um, as, you know, just overall how we are trying to communicate with with voters. Um, you know, social media is an interesting aspect because if someone's paying for in terms of campaign finance, you know, if it's an advertising mechanism for them, you know, they actually pay for ads, then that's going to be reported. If they're just, you know, on a free service, you know, saying that you know, their platform on you know, sidewalks or something uh, that that's not you know that's that's freedom of speech it's not um that's not a campaign finance issue at that point so that's the only area where we would get into you know campaign finance and social media but you know our, the other side of things is just using social media as a tool for our agency to, to try to inform people um we've we've definitely used that for uh photo id because as we rolled that out in the municipal elections uh we did not have an advertising budget that's been approved in the budget that was passed in october and that'll be part of our 2024 efforts um but you know we we rely on social media um to to help people understand what deadlines there are what you know what what terms even mean? You know, we've talked even on this show about um, ballot styles and and what does that term mean? And that's going to be the particular ballot that is issued to a voter based upon the districts that they reside in, um, the jurisdictions. So, you know, it's just trying to make sure that the voters are as aware as possible of, you know, how elections are conducted and, and the efforts we go to to make them um, fair and accurate and secure uh, for all voters. NCSBE.org is the website. Dot gov. Dot gov. Dot gov. I don't know where dot org takes you. So okay, dot gov. NCSBE.gov. Oh, I'm glad you corrected me on that because I would have assumed it was dot org. Okay. I learned all sorts of things in this program. I hope the listeners do as well. Our guest is Karen Brinson Bell, Executive Director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. And we have more sessions coming up and we'll talk about. Uh, some other aspects of the job that she and her staff are, are uh, obligated to do for the state of North Carolina. And we'll do that right after these messages. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Darian. We call him Day uh, Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. 
SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. This is our final segment with Karen Brinson Bell, who I've from time to time wanted to refer to as Catherine, but that's okay. Uh, she has admitted that she wouldn't mind being Catherine, so that's that's okay. She's the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections, and we've talked about all sorts of things ranging from voter ID to early voting and absentee voting. So if you haven't uh, kept up with all the changes, you can uh, go back and listen to a repeat of this broadcast or go online to their website, and we'll talk about that again later. After the last election, there's been more and more concern about election security, probably not quite as much uh, questions in North Carolina as in a lot of the states. But um, let's talk about election security and, and how you uh, handle that and, uh, and how your your uh, board, state board and the 100 local boards work to be sure that our elections are fair, honest and complete. There is so much I could say about this. I'll try not to take up the whole segment. <laughs> take, take as much time as you want, because I think everyone is interested. Well, you know, I'll first highlight that you know, there have been there have always been efforts to make our elections safe and secure. Um, you know, when I started in elections in 2006, that was the first time that we had certified voting equipment in North Carolina um, that with with state oversight before then some counties didn't even have voting equipment um, and we put things in place that have held. Um, we have had a an audit of our voting equipment following every election where we we randomly select uh, two voting sites and uh, for each county and they have to to do a hand to eye count. They don't know going into that selection process the day after the election what sites are going to be picked. Um, you know, so th that's been in place since 2006. We were at the forefront uh, in North Carolina, at the forefront of the nation by doing that. We've had what we call logic and accuracy testing uh, in place. It's standards that we expect all 100 counties to do to verify that those voting pieces of voting equipment and all the accessories to that are working as intended and are counting the votes accurately. Um, that's a public event if anybody wants to see it. Um, it's a lot of, of input into the system to make sure that it's working properly. We we actually feed test ballots into the tabulators to uh, and, and check it against a test script. Um, so you know, all of those things are in play. But then there's some things that are just, you know, I guess more subtle. But if you really stop and think about it, we have bipartisan election officials working at all of our voting sites, and those are people from the community. Their names have been put forward by the political parties. Um, they've been selected by the county board of elections, which are bipartisan as well. And you know, these folks go through training. They work together as a team. There's no one person who gets to make all the decisions. Uh, you know, and and. They are the people that you know that they may have been in the church choir or might have been a former teacher or basketball coach, something of that nature. Um, and, you know, and so that adds to the security of our system. But, you know, there's been even more that's happened. Those are, are longstanding traditions but um, and measures that we've taken. But in 2017, elections was designated as critical infrastructure for our country. And so what that means is we've also heightened 
our, our efforts. And so there's a lot of emphasis on cybersecurity to make sure that our databases cannot be hacked, to prevent our county boards from you know, being subjected to phishing attempts through email, um, to make sure that our website is is protected and is not going to be hacked to where anyone questions the results um, that are displayed there. Uh, so much that goes into it uh, to make sure. You know, we've also been doing physical security measures to make sure that you know we limit access to our voting equipment, that we limit access into our buildings, um, because we have you know election officials have been subjected to threats, and so we are still open to the public, but there might be you know a barrier separating or you might not be able to have full range when you come into the office um, but that's that's a protective measures too because we also are going to protect that um, personable identifying information PII is what we call it so you know someone can't have access to your date of birth or someone can't have access um, to your social security number that would be on file with our voter registration records. And uh, so all of that goes into securing our elections. And even when we were referencing the website address, ncsbe.gov, .gov is really important. And we had to, to meet certain criteria. We had to go through certain authorizations to even have that designation. And it gives us added layers of security. And it's a it's conveying to the public that that's a trusted source. We are an identified government entity. You can't just go and buy a .gov address. You have to be an established government entity. And so that's different than .org or .com or .net. Um, those serve different purposes. And so you know we've really worked to try to uh, educate the public. Uh, we have a, a page on our website dedicated to security. So everybody knows all these things that I'm going over. Um, and, you know, there's just so much. We we have Secure Saturday as a posting on social media so we can try to educate people about all the measures we do take to make sure that, you know, their information is secure, that their vote is secure, and that there's accuracy in how we count those votes in our elections. If you're new to North Carolina or if you have never voted in an election, uh, how do you register? What, what information to, to register to vote? And for uh, those who maybe have moved in from out of state. Yep. We, most of our voters register when they go to the Department of Motor Vehicles to get a driver's license, especially, you know, whether they're moving out of moving here from another state or whether they're switching counties or just updating their information. Anytime you interact with the DMV, they're going to ask you if you want to register to vote or update your information. Uh, so that partnership has been, you know, something that's been really nationwide. Um, after what they call the Motor Voter Act, but um, it, it's definitely been, you know a great partnership in North Carolina. We've, we have other options. You can always fill out a paper form uh, at the County Board of Elections uh, and, and that will be processed. Uh, you can print one off of the state website or a County Board of website. So ncsbe.gov um, and you can get the voter registration form from there. Uh, they're available in, in other government agencies like a library, um, if that's how you choose. But one of the services that we were able to launch in 2020 is also the ability to register online if you're an existing DMV customer. Um, you, you don't have to be going on the site to do something with the DMV. You can simply use your signature that's on file with DMV to apply that to the voter registration form and you can register online that way. Um, someone who's not 
who does not have a driver's license or a DMV issued ID is not going to be able to use that service. But uh, but anyone who does have an existing record with DMV can update their voter registration just by going to our website, ncsve.gov. I'm going to change the subject now and talk about the 100 counties that are faced with having these elections. The primary, of course, is March the 5th, as we've mentioned before. Do we have enough precinct officials and election workers now? Because so many of these people have to be volunteers. They are. I mean, our our, our election workers are paid to be at our early voting sites or on the election day voting sites, but it's a small amount. Um, and so at the end of the day, it's more volunteer when you get down to it. And they work long days. Um, if they're early voting worker, that's a 17 day period. If it's election day, we show up generally at 530 or 6 a.m. because the polls are going to open at at 6.30 a.m. and be open until 7.30 p.m., but then we've got to shut down those polling places and get the materials back to the county boards of elections. So, you know, it, it's it's a long day. Um, and you, but, but we consider those folks to be our democracy heroes. That's, that's what we called it in 2020 because there was such a shortage there. You know, most of our, our voting workers, our election workers are uh, in 65 or older. And so in the pandemic, that meant they were part of the vulnerable population. And so some of them couldn't serve, even though they had been long serving uh, uh, election workers. And uh, so their, their niece or their nephew, grandson, um, neighbor down the street stepped up and uh, we had such a response to our Democracy Heroes campaign where we asked people to step up and they found a lot of those folks found that they really enjoyed it. And then the folks who were in the vulnerable population were able to return. And now we've got this great pool of people who are serving their community and serving their neighbors um, at the voting sites. But there's still times when we don't have an adequate number of folks. So we would still encourage you reach out to your county boards of elections. There are ways that you can help um, and, and be a part of, of this process. Um, and, and it's just it's such meaningful work. Um, I will also point out what might not be as obvious to folks is the amount of turnover that we've actually had in the profession. Uh, in North Carolina, I became uh, state director, as we've talked about, in June 2019. I noticed some some turnover even in that year. And so I started tracking it and I went back to June, uh, January 2019. So I'd have a complete year, even though I didn't start until June. But from January 2019 until today, we have had 54 changes in county election directors in our counties. Now, that doesn't mean all you know, 54 separate counties. In some cases, we've had the director change more than once in the four year, four and a half year period. And so, you know, it's it's really tough. Some of these folks um, worked for 20, 25, 30 years in their position. And so they're, you know, they have all right to retire. Um, but sometimes they're saying that they just didn't quite have the fuel in the fuel tank anymore because our profession has come under attack and uh, and that's that's really tough to see. And uh, but it's exciting to see some of the folks who are coming into the profession who are as committed as those folks who work 25, 30 years uh, in the field. But uh, it also puts a lot of of, um, you know, added responsibility to the State Board of Elections to make sure that we adequately train and support these county offices as they go through these transitions. Well, it's uh, it's certainly uh, a good thing because this is a at best is a part time job. I mean, elections only happen uh, infrequently, 
And so working at the polls is definitely a part-time job. Working at the polls is. Working in the county office or the state board, we have been preparing for this presidential year since 2020. Yeah. Uh, there's constant maintenance of our voter rolls, of the website information, preparing those training materials. Uh, it, it, there's, there is constant work. Um, those campaign finance reports that we talked about earlier, they're happening year round. And so there's there's always something going on in the county boards of elections and hopefully doing, you know, having these conversations with you and doing other efforts is helping folks to understand what all goes into making sure we have safe and secure elections in North Carolina. Well, you have certainly uh, been uh, very uh, uh, informative in this program. And I think everyone who has missed part of the broadcast will know that they can go online and hear what you had to say about voter ID, early voting, uh, the redistricting, the absentee ballots, uh, absentee voting, and so forth. We covered it all. So if you uh, uh, join this late in the broadcast, you can listen to the complete broadcast by going to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com, and hear the remarks of Karen Brinson Bell, the Executive Director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll look forward to having you on again. Glad to do it. Thank you. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises me faithfully that you will have another interesting guest again next week on this same group of stations. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.